Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth? How's it going? Going all right. Going all right. I'm home this week after a lot of time on the road, so it's been kind of a regroup week for me, work-wise and home-wise and everything else, because it's just got home from San Diego on late Sunday. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so I've just been trying to get back to uh, my time zones and, and get a little bit more organized here on the home front. Um, what did not help that Monday my daughter got rear-ended in a car accident. She's fine. Everybody's fine. But it's just one of those life things that are a pain in the neck to deal with on the first day back from all this travel I had. So um, didn't make the week start off well, but things are getting back to normal here. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know how that goes. I think we probably talked at some point last year about the week that we had two car accidents in a row. That's right. I forgot it was two back to back days. That was. It's like you you do the one, and and like you said, it kind of throws you for a loop, and then you you recover, and you you think you're back on track, and you're like, okay, you know, we can put the pieces back together, and then when it happened the second day, it's like I just give up. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like you just throw your hands up. What can you do? But our car's drivable still. It's going to get fixed this weekend, and all will be right with the world. Um, but, yeah, it just is a pain. And it's a little scary, too. You know, the phone call I got from my daughter, she was upset. she was crying. She'd never been in an accident before, um, even though she was fine. So you get, you know, your heart skips a beat for, for a little bit till you figure out what's going on. But otherwise, they're just cars, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Yes, they are. So today we've got some research to talk about. We haven't done a study uh, chat on Volley in a, I don't know, a little while. I can't remember the last one we did. Maybe SMB trends. I'm not sure. Yeah, I uh, think you and I are kind of on the same rhythm here with our report. So we we talk about research for like two weeks in a row, and then we don't have any for months. But yeah, got a new study coming out on artificial intelligence. Did you get a chance to read that one? I did. I did read it. You, it's taught me quite a bit. You know that I'm not the most technical person on the planet, um, but uh, AI is super interesting, and uh, I read it with, with great interest. Yeah, I, I learned quite a bit going through it. Um, I'm sure you did. I was thinking just to do this report, you must have had to – I mean, the, the background research on this must have been pretty intense. Yeah, it's – I think it's a funny topic because it's it's one that has been around for a long time, you know, through science fiction or whatever. Right. Like everyone knows what artificial intelligence is. Like, you know, 20 years ago, people didn't know what Internet of Things was. So that's that's a concept that comes along and it's new. And then we all have to wrap our arms around it. I think with this one, we we've had it in mind for a long time. So that's part of what makes it unique and interesting. Uh, I think the other part that sort of makes it interesting is this image that we've had in our head is, you know, kind of robots that are completely indistinguishable from humans. They can perform all the functions, you know, they go wrong and they try to kill us all and whatever, but they, they at least, you know, appear to be human-like and they, they can really mimic human thought process and, and behavior. But if you take kind of a really generic definition of artificial intelligence that it mimics human behavior, then most of the computing that we've had could kind of classify as that, right? And so yeah. not only have we had this image for a long time, but we've we've really been on this path for a long time of making steady progress towards the goal. And, and now we're at a point where 
there are some changes which I describe in the report and, and we're making taking a big step towards that image that we've had in our head for so long. Um, and so I think that's what's kind of revving up the hype engine uh, quite a bit. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of complication behind it. And like I said, I kind of dove into that in the report and that was that was part of the learning process, I think, is just figuring out why this is such a tough one to kind of get a grasp on. Yeah, um, it, it really is interesting because you're right. It is it has been in our in our cultural mind for some time now, from movies and 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 books and and other things. But you know, you really dove into what makes it different from maybe traditional software development. For instance, I found that interesting. Uh, I've never read the word probabilistic before, so you'll have to talk a little bit about that. Um, I get it when you know in reading it, but I think maybe we could talk a little bit about how. There's sort of fake AI out there, and, and, and when people think about what real AI is, it's some of these distinctions that you sort of go through in the report about the programming aspect of it. Um, there's the, tons of similarities to traditional software programming, but then major differences. Right, yeah. I think, I, I think the first step is recognizing that AI is basically software, and so in some ways it's going to behave like software always had, that you're going to have inputs, and it's going to go through whatever programming the the computer programmer gave it to do, and then it's going to produce an output. And and so you have to think about it you know, in that way, that, that there's still this human element of setting it up and training it and, and getting it going. But then that, that's where the similarities begin to end. And we did some interviews for this one along with the online survey that we always do. Uh, and those interviews turned into a completely separate report. And, and it was really interesting to see a lot of these people on the cutting edge when we asked them, you know, how is AI being handled by your software development team? Uh, they would say, we actually have to have different software developers come in or it's a completely different process because old software traditional software development was deterministic where you had inputs and you would get the same output uh, with those inputs every time and as long as the inputs were correct you could trust those outputs Uh, it was just doing it faster um, or it was it was providing an assist that that the humans you know maybe couldn't do but with AI, with, with AI today, and, and this is the big step that we've taken that I mentioned earlier, it's become probabilistic. And, and so, you know, what the programmers do is instead of saying, with this input, do this step and this step and this step and this step, they say, here are some inputs. Here's kind of the output that we want. So we want to know if financial transactions are fraudulent, or we want to know if pictures are cats or whatever it is, you know, and here's the input and and you figure out how you can tell us that. Um, and, and so that's where the, the program then starts looking at all this data. It looks at some of the guidelines uh, and it begins making decisions. It begins kind of determining for itself what it thinks is fraud or what it thinks is a picture of a cat. And, you know, that's that's a huge step. And what it really results in is the computer is becoming a lot more like a human or a human brain where it's taking in all kinds of data instead of very specific data. It's putting it through some process. And then at the end, instead of giving you the exact right answer, it's giving you a guess. It's giving you its best guess. Right. Uh, and 
And that's huge. Obviously, that can lead to some guesses that we had never expected before. And many of those could be good. It could open our eyes up to new possibilities, but they're not always going to be right. And and so I think that's the huge thing for companies and um, business of technology professionals to realize is you can't just treat AI output like the gospel and you're going to run with it. You have to maybe take it with a grain of salt. You have to balance it and and do some checks on it to make sure that it's rational. Uh, and that is where I think kind of the, the human machine hybrid that we talked about in the IT industry outlook really comes in where you're going to be able to accelerate things. You're going to be able to get new insights that you might not have seen before from a data set, but you've got to double check that and make sure that it's not uh, going off in the weeds somehow. Yeah, that's, that's where I, I, I kind of stall a little bit is if you have to double check everything, does that not defeat the purpose of this in terms of efficiencies and you know this this is where I scratch my head just a little bit um, about having to double check and yes there's there's a margin of error on all of the results or outputs as you put it that the that the AI enabled tool whatever it is is bringing back to you will we reach a point where the double checking part of this is no longer part of the process or is this just as you see it now, the way AI is always going to be something that you better not completely rubber stamp as the output comes out, but make sure that you are doing due diligence that it's makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's where the huge challenge lies because you know what AI is allowing to happen is a lot of things to happen at scale. And so as those things happen at scale, obviously you can't bring in this checking component on every single piece of output right. or it's like out of control. Yeah, the scale piece just breaks down, right? But I, what I what I think people have to do is kind of build in whatever checks and balances are going to be appropriate for the the process that they're that they're doing. So if for example it's pictures, right? And you're trying to get the computer to tell you if it's pictures of dogs. Well, you don't have to have someone looking at that all the time, but every once in a while, if you see that it was a picture of a muffin, then you've got to dig back into the covers <laughs> and sort of say, ah, you know, what? how did you get this wrong? And, and then maybe tweak the algorithm a, a little bit. Mm -hmm. If it's something around finances or healthcare or something a little bit more critical, then, you know, again, you're probably not going to be able to check every output, but you have to have, you know, some way in there of that incorrect output getting flagged a little earlier and then being able to maybe throw the brakes on, dive back in, do the tweaking, and then and then set it going again. Well, it's um, interesting because we talk about it, things like AI um, eliminating jobs, but it, this is almost creating a different type of job. You're the backstop. There are there are a lot of jobs that I think that could be created here. And again, when it's when it's happening at scale, I think it's really hard to say what the net effect is. Uh, and I mentioned that a little bit in the report. Uh, it's been a debate for years is how many jobs are going to get created and how many jobs are going to go away uh, because of AI or, or any technology. But AI is probably the, the leading one here that people get focused on. And, and it's also not exactly the same level of jobs, right? So the jobs that are getting eliminated, people that were in those jobs probably can't step into some kind of data science job if that's the job that's getting created by AI, yeah. right? Um, so there are all of those those issues as part of thinking about the workforce here, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity. I, I think for 
technical professionals, you know, people that are responsible for uh, the, the, the technical work at their organization or companies on the outside that are responsible for helping their clients with technical projects. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity here to do new things, to bring in new skills, to build skills, and, and to do some, some innovative work. You, you just have to know what you're getting into and that this isn't ever really going to be a simple product that you plug in uh, and it's going to simply enhance whatever workflow you already have in place. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about uh, in the report of how critical it is to collaborate for the IT team that's maybe working on some of these initiatives with AI to make sure that they are looping in the business folks um, and, and at least at the design phase about you know including them in the discussion about what they'd like AI to do for them from a business case perspective. And then they can go off, the technical people can go off and do the execution, but that that collaboration is critical. And we've talked about this in, with a lot of your work this year, uh, research and going back into digital organizations that we've been talking about this. But it seems to me that you know this cements it even more, this trend that we're seeing that the, the technical folks within an organization really need to be working in tandem with the business folks um, on any strategic initiative. Uh, who who does what from a task perspective um, is is a different discussion altogether, but it's that strategic collaboration that has to take place. Right. I, I think that might have been one of the biggest surprises in this report. You know, we always get that question from people. What was what surprised you the most? So right. I've got my answer this time. I, I think it was this ownership approach where we have seen for a couple of years where companies seem to be moving more and more towards a collaborative approach regardless of the technology topic um, and there are just a few things that they really will still assign to the IT team as, as being the, the primary responsibility. That, that could be like security or integration. Um, but for this one, when, when we talked about what's the ownership approach to AI projects, a little over half of the companies that we surveyed said that they feel like the AI projects should be or are mostly handled by the IT team. And, and I think that speaks to the belief that AI is something that happens under the covers. It just needs to get plugged into the architecture or the infrastructure, and then new results are going to come out, and and business is going to continue as before, but with the new results. And and I think to your point, the strategic part of this is recognizing that those results are going to need to be handled differently than the results before, and that handling is really on the side of the business unit. It's not the IT team. The IT team can put all the pieces in place, but then when the results come out, in terms of doing a little bit of check and balance, uh, mm-hmm. I think that lies with the business units and they really need to understand that and embrace it. Yeah, I think I think it's really going to be important for um, for the business people to take a look at what the output is. Or, you know what, know what they want or expect to come out of this in the first place. So be there on the front end and then also be there on the back end of, of the, the process. One of the other things that you talk about a lot within the, um, within the report is the, the relevance of data. I mean, data seems to be central to all of, um, of what we're talking about here with AI. And a few years back, or more than a few now, you did the report on big data. And, and big data was huge. It was in the news. It was hyped. It was everywhere. Capital B, capital D, big data. And um, it kind of fizzled. And so I was thinking when after I read the report this morning, is the potential here for something like AI to fizzle like that? And and, and when I say fizzle, not go away entirely, but just not have the same sort of prominence 
um, in everybody's hype cycle as it, as it does right now. And I mean, we didn't even continue writing those big data reports. And I think that was a, 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 a decision that was made because it was no longer, uh, it wasn't skyrocketing the way that we had, and, and everybody else had predicted that it might. Yeah, I um, actually make the point in the report that the way that modern AI works, so you know, absorbing all of this data and then running through probabilistic algorithms and then putting out a report, the, the input that software used to have was highly structured, um, relatively um, finite set of data. And, and now what we're talking about is large sets of data that could be a variable structure and that sounds a lot like the shift to big data. And so I think companies mm-hmm. really should think about how how far they can run you know, with AI. And I think in the interviews, we saw people saying that one of the biggest hurdles that they're running into is not having the right data to feed into the process or not being able to collect all of the data that they thought they would be able to. And I, you know, you've seen some stories online about this is one of the things that is a huge difference between making a prototype and then building something that's going to go into production is with a prototype, mm-hmm. maybe you do work on small sets of data and you say, look, it's pictures of dogs every time. And then you put it into production <laughs> and you're getting muffins. The The data needs change drastically uh, when you're trying to put this into production and scale it up. And consistent with the previous research that we've done in data, very few companies say that they're exactly where they want to be with their data management. The vast majority of companies say that they see some degree of data silos, whether that's a high degree or a moderate degree of data silos. Yeah. Um, they just don't have all of their data structured in a way that would make it input to uh, a program. And this is this is kind of a problem, whether you're talking about a company that's trying to develop their own AI or if they're just getting the product from somewhere. Uh, you know, if, if the end goal here is largely about customization, then whatever product you're going to get, you're going to want to feed your own data in to train that product and to kind of get the output that you would want. You, you can't just rely on some generic training data that has set this product up to be used by you. Um, and so I think that that is going to be a pretty big hurdle in in the way here. And you know, to to your point, I don't know. Too. Yeah, I, I think we've had that opportunity for a while for people to come in and and help their clients or help their companies establish their data a little bit better or manage their data a little bit better. And and I think that there will continue to be progress. I mean, there's continued to be progress in the big data space as well. It just doesn't get talked about as much. I, I think AI probably has enough hype and enough um, kind of a wow factor or a buzz factor that we'll, we'll probably continue talking about that one. But I I think adoption will be a lot slower than people might expect it to be or, or maybe than they would hope that it would be. Yeah, and you made the point. I mean, there are so many small companies in, 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 you know, in the U.S. economy and these really small businesses, I, I just don't see um, widespread use of AI being a real possibility for them right now. Uh, and I, so that adoption cycle is probably going to take a lot longer than, say, the larger companies are able to incorporate in some meaningful way. One thing we haven't talked about is sort of the, the, the potential dark side of AI, and and, and, and I think it, it wraps into the whole discussion about making sure that you are, um, are, are providing the right instructions and doing um, good 
checks and balances on, on the back end. But, you know, the whole discussion around AI bias and the potential for that, um, which um, I think is a real problem potentially, uh, and, and how do we avoid that becoming a widespread thing and hoping that it's just, you know, a one-off every once in a while is, I think, another one of the challenges in addition to trying to do this data management that we were talking about. I said that the ownership issue was kind of surprising um, when it comes to skills and looking at the number of companies that think they need ethical skills around AI. It wasn't surprising, but it was still a little disappointing to see that you know ethical considerations ranked at the bottom of the list for skills that companies think they need when they're when they're dealing with their AI. And to be fair, there are going to be some uses of of AI that might still even fit into kind of this probabilistic approach and technique um, where the output is safe enough, you know, maybe it's not pictures of dogs or cats, but it's still relatively safe and it can be baked into a product and it can be bound, you know, there, there can be boundaries around it and, and a company could use it and get a lot of benefit out of it without having to dig into some of these issues. But I, I think those are going to be few and far between and, and especially as companies are wanting this to be something that really spurs on their growth or takes them into a new level, you're going to be pushing into areas where some of this bias comes in and, and that bias can be in the algorithms that the program is using to try to learn and make its decisions or it could even be in the data sets and, and when, when we think about some of the problems that AI might be trying to solve and if you're trying to use public data sets that deal with social issues like incarceration or inner city education or things like that, there are going to be inherent biases in those data sets because of yeah. decades or centuries of social bias that we've had. Um, and, and so I think all of that has to be considered here. Uh, and that's obviously a very new skill for companies to be thinking about, especially within their technical teams. Mm -hmm. That exists as a job role, though, doesn't it? I think we identified that in the Outlook, or maybe we thought about identifying it in the Outlook, like a, an artificial intelligence ethicist. You definitely see companies doing that, uh, you know, especially among the really big companies that are trying to kind of make their bre bread and butter out of these algorithms uh, and, and wanting to make sure that they, you know, either do the right thing or, you know, keep their public perception uh, positive or whatever it is. But yeah, definitely you see these companies establishing these job roles, establishing boards, establishing third parties that can do some of this checking. Um, but, but obviously that's not the type of thing that's trickled down into the SMB space yet. Well, we haven't talked much about the business benefits of AI and what they can do for you. So we've been talking a little bit about some of the, the, the things that you should be wary about. Um, but in my next study, so the next uh, volley that we do, we're going to do research uh, research discussion as well. And I'm I'm currently in the midst of a study on customer experience, and one of the big components of customer experience trends and how they're changing today is the use of some of these emerging technologies to enhance and improve the the customer's um, relationship with with their provider or you know retailer or whoever they're dealing with. And one of the you know the key pieces of this is AI. So um, it kind of feeds this discussion, sort of feeds nicely into the next one that we're going to have um, because the use of AI 
type tools and bots, et cetera, are being used in customer service and, and customer support extensively right now. And, and it's one of the, the, the prominent changes that are happening across the buyer's journey, I guess, as you would put it, and how people are trying to improve that. So it'll be an interesting flow from this conversation into that one. Yeah, you see in the interviews that we did, um, a lot of people are talking about chatbots. That that's where their efforts are going. They're trying to improve that first layer of customer support. Uh, and whenever we talk about customer support or help desks or whatever, I, I think it's important to say that you know chatbots can come in and really do a great job on that first layer. What that does, you know, to the to the people that are trying to solve problems is it kind of moves their problems up a layer where the things that used to be, you know, tier one type problems, if those can be handled by chatbots, then the new tier one for a help desk technician or a customer service support specialist is what used to be tier two. And so they have to maybe yeah. be trained a little bit more. But, you know, again, there's still just going to be things that the chatbot can't solve. And if it can handle a lot of the routine things easily, then maybe that improves what that tier two support looks like. But yeah, that's what a lot of companies are looking for is is personalization, customization, the ability to handle scale. And, and they're also thinking about AI helping with some of the more traditional aspects of technology too. So the, the top benefit that companies say they're expecting is cost savings, which is what we tend to see with any technology. They always, they always say that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the topic is. Yeah. And... And, and and maybe that plays out in the long run. But again, I, I think that that's a very traditional way of looking at IT, that you know we, we're expecting to help this save us money or we're expecting to spend the same amount of money and get more output or more productivity or whatever it is. So some of those things can happen, but I, I think the more innovative uses are around providing some of that personalization or automating things or ultimately doing things that you've never done before instead of just doing the old things a little bit better yeah it's um it's going to be really fun to watch actually uh this this particular area of emerging tech as we've been covering so many has piqued my attention probably more than any other so um it was, it was very fun to read your report oh well I, you know, most people don't say fun when they're reading our research reports so i'm really glad to hear that yeah it was it was good i learned a lot so what's on tap for you this weekend anything i've got uh high school tennis sectionals that my son is competing in um so it could be the end of the season or he could move on to state tournament next weekend but yeah he's got he's got that going on and other than that kind of laying low good well the bruins here in hot in hockey land clinched the clinched their playoff uh conference playoff last night so they're into the stanley cup finals so we get a little break from hockey because the other uh, conference um, series is still going on, and so the Bruins can rest their legs for a little while. I know you hate when I talk about Boston sports, but let's be honest, it's so great. Um, <laughs> it's the best thing. I mean, what else is, even is there to talk about? We, yeah, we, let's talk about the Celtics, though, since you love well, to talk about it so much. Yeah, yeah, the Celtics are in the doghouse here, but I'll be pretty happy. The Three of the four major sports teams made the finals. Two of them won, and we'll see how the Bruins do, but I guess seven games. Stanley Cup coming up next week, so it'll be fun. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, well, good luck. Is. Thank you. I know I take it like it's me on out there on the ice skating, but <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend, you have a good one. We right. will talk soon. Yep.